you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew's Gospel. We'll look at the end of chapter 8 this morning. It starts in verse 28, and uh, the passage is also there printed in the um, bulletin on the next page. Um, Sorry, I've got to figure out my notes here. Something weird happened with the Kindle. Anyway, uh, okay, so, you know, it's been about a month um, since we've been in Matthew's Gospel uh, for various reasons. Uh, We've taken a a detour away from it for a while, so, but now we're back. Uh, The last time uh, we looked at Matthew's Gospel, the scene just before this started off on, uh, you know, they're on the Sea of Galilee. So they were on the the mostly Jewish uh, uh, northwestern shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus called, he had a crowd that was following him, and he called people from the crowd to follow him to the other side, to predominantly Gentile country, away from mainly Jewish land to mainly Gentile land on the eastern shore. And so he calls his people, uh, and we talked about this last time, he calls his people to follow him into places they didn't want to go, right? These are frightening places, uncomfortable places, difficult places, uh, places that don't make much sense to us why Jesus would call us to follow him into such places, but his presence is the only worthwhile thing about following him into places like that, right? His presence is, uh, it's the salvation that we truly need. The Lord's presence with us is a salvation we truly need more than the safety of our circumstances or security or comfort or, you know, whatever pleasant circumstances we uh, we would wish for more than that. The Lord's presence with us is a salvation we truly need. He leads us into places where uh, we're confronted with that reality, where we're confronted with the reality that His presence is salvation. Where we're presented with His choice, as it were. It's the choice of, um, you know, on the one hand, there's life, which means being with Jesus no matter what comes, or the choice, on the other hand, is death, choosing to remain apart from Jesus, be separated from God really, because we're apart from Jesus. So the Son of God came into the world, and he arranges the circumstances of our lives to, uh, to expose how we have chosen death apart from him. And he, and he does it to call us to choose life with him. So that's what we'll talk about this morning from our passage. Um, let me pray first, then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, you have spoken to us in your holy word. Uh, because you have things to say to us for our good and for our relationship with you. And so we pray that you'd help us through your spirit to hear you, to be renewed in our life with you in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. When Jesus came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, 
They told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So Jesus has taken his followers uh, somewhere they hadn't wanted to go. And when they got there, it was basically probably some of them were like, we told you we didn't want to come to a place like this. You know, honestly, all their worst fears had come true. Uh, It's something like out of a nightmare. You've got violent, demon-possessed men emerging from a graveyard to attack travelers, right? Uh, And then there's the pigs. It's a giant herd of pigs, thousands of pigs. Terrifying stuff. Um, (laughs) So... Uh, this, this Gentile country, uh, it was a bad place, just as they had supposed when Jesus called them to follow him. For Jesus' followers, again, who would have been mostly Jewish, um, uh, these, these ones here, uh, at this point, the whole place that they were in reeked of fear and uncleanness, sort of a religious term, and, uh, and reeked of death. Right, so maybe that, that doesn't make much sense to you. You know, maybe you like the thought of a contemplative stroll through a cemetery, so the whole graveyard thing doesn't really uh, disturb you much. Or maybe you like ham and smoked pork shoulder and you know ribs and bacon. I mean, but <clears throat> but this uh, this place was a nightmare for the Jews. It was a nightmare for the Jews, whose sensibilities actually would have been largely shaped by God's own revelation. So according to the scriptures. Pigs were unclean animals, so the Jews had nothing to do with them. They didn't eat them. They weren't near them. And according to the scriptures, graveyards and tombs and dead bodies were unclean. And according to the scriptures, touching unclean things like dead bodies, being in graveyards, being near the herd of pigs or whatever, touching unclean things made you unclean, made made it impossible for you to participate in important relational activities. Uh, social and religious activities, right? I mean, ultimately, uncleanness in the uh, Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, to the Jews, uncleanness was meant to signify that you're to be removed from God's presence, that you're not welcome in God's presence. And that was really important, not just to the Jews, but to to the disciples, the people who were following Jesus. Cleanness and uncleanness, these are important things. And also, according to the Scriptures, demons... They're evil, right? They, they're spiritual manifestations of evil. They're like the embodiment of evil and chaos and death. They represented everything that was spiritually wrong in the world, and, and anyone would be afraid of these brutal, unnaturally strong men who were coming out of the tombs. There'd be fiercely violent, tomb-dwelling, demon-filled, pig-farming Gentiles here, right? This is a scary place. Uh, for them, this place is wrong. It doesn't get any darker. It doesn't get more terrifying than this. It's, it's like a horror show. Uh, it's worse than any stereotype. It's worse than any caricature or any parody. <clears throat> this place Jesus had led his followers is a picture of uncleanness and death. It's the perfect picture of the world of death that has been wrought by our sin. Right, So this is how horrifying the world really is, spiritually speaking, this place where they find themselves now. This is, this is how horrifying the world really is because of our rebellion against God. The whole world reeks of fear and uncleanness and death because of our choice to live apart from 
the God who made us, the God of love, the God who created us for life with him. So Jesus reveals uh, the reality of our choice to us, this world of death that we've created by our choice to be apart from him. Jesus reveals the reality of our choice to us. He takes us into places where we can clearly see what it means that we have chosen death. We've chosen life apart from him, which is no life, it's death. So he reveals that to us. This choice is most clearly revealed to us in light of the glory of his own goodness. So when we see him, when we see Jesus here against the backdrop of the world of fear and death, that highlights this contrast. And, uh, and it shows us how bad things really are for us apart from him. His mere presence shows these things. His mere presence distresses the forces of darkness, right? All Jesus has to do is show up and demons start crying out. And it's like they're stumbling over their own, their own words, crying out in fear. The spirits of fear are terrified of him and they're ter- terrified of the power and the goodness of his love. And they're absolutely powerless before him, as you can tell from the way that they're talking. So the last time we heard the disciples say anything, uh, in the last passage, at the end of it, uh, the disciples were like dumbstruck, right? They, they, they were asking the question, what, what sort of man is this, this Jesus? Who is this? Who is this person? Well, the demons immediately recognize him as their doom. It says, behold, they cried out, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? I mean, they, have, they identify the Lord Jesus more clearly, more accurately than any human being does in the Gospels. They recognize who he is. They have pretty good theology. They're aware of who Jesus is. They know God's power. They know his plans actually for their future, for their judgment. They know that God's will cannot be thwarted no matter how much they hate it or fight it. So the demons know a lot that is true about Jesus. So apparently, knowing a lot that's true about Jesus, merely recognizing Jesus doesn't mean that you're with him. Doesn't mean that you're with him. As James says, even the demons believe and shudder with terror. They believe true things about who Jesus is and what he came to do. And they can't stand it. The demons recognize Jesus truly as their enemy, as the one who has complete power and authority over them, whose power will defeat them without the shadow of a doubt. His power will defeat them. There's no contest. As if, you know, the forces of darkness were equally balanced against the forces of light. You're just not quite sure how this is going to turn out. The outcome of this encounter was never in question. The demons knew it was never in question. Even the the spiritual forces of darkness, they know the futility of their fight against Jesus. He doesn't have to even say or do anything. He just shows up, and his very presence, this is important, important. his very presence has undone an army of demons. The spirits of uncleanness and fear and death are shaking in their boots because his presence means salvation. His presence means salvation. It means the restoration of the world according to God's purpose which was for us to be with him, right? His presence means the unstoppable power and goodness of God's love. His presence means life that conquers death. His presence is the reality of God with us. That's his name. That's who he is. That's the very thing that we had rejected and walked away from 
in our sin, God being with us, uh, when we handed this world over to the prince of darkness and to his minions, when we plunged this world into chaos and uncleanness and fear and death, the essence of all the brokenness of the world is that it is a place where people have chosen to be without God. That's what's really wrong, right? That's what's most deeply wrong with us. And it's why the demons, the spiritual forces of darkness, they, they have power over sinners. Demons rule in a world where people have chosen death to live apart from God. Demons rule. That's their domain. Demons rule in a world where people choose to live apart from God. But, <clears throat> but Jesus is the Lord of life because he's Emmanuel, because he's God with us. And that's what life really means. God with us and us with God. So he's the Lord of life. And his presence means the end of the spiritual forces of death, just as God had promised long ago in Genesis chapter 3 that the woman's son, that's Jesus, would crush the head, the power of the serpent, that's the devil. Right? So in Hebrews chapter 2, it says that Jesus came to destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So death means the separation of humanity from God, and his presence Jesus' presence with us means the end of that separation. It means an end to demons that represent that death. It means an end to the spiritual forces of darkness who have flourished in the environment of that death. The very presence of the God of love in the flesh, God with us, is the doom of death. And it's the doom of those who have the power of death. And the demons know this uh, better than we do. They knew that they were utterly powerless before him. They knew that when he showed up, all they could do was beg. So a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged Jesus, saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. <clears throat> right? So Mark, in Mark's gospel, in his account of this, he says that there are 2,000 pigs in this herd. So when the d- demons come out of these men, and they go into a giant herd, I, I don't even know what 2,000 pigs would look like in this kind of area. I mean, it demonstrates visibly the magnitude of the problem that these guys had. These two guys who were inhabited by these demons. It was like a visual aid that helped people to begin to conceptualize just how badly these two demon-possessed men had had it. When you see this giant 2,000-pig herd uh, suddenly overcome by these demons. These guys, these two guys had a literally whole army of demons plaguing them, harassing them, controlling them, and ruining their lives. And Jesus set them free with a single word. He has the power and the will to set things right that are terribly wrong with the world. So he said to them, go. So they came out and went to the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. So, uh, we got any pig farming Gentiles here? <laughs> How many pigs you got, Brian? Ten? That's kind of what I thought. Ten pigs, right? My guess is that you'd be pretty upset if your whole herd of pigs rushed down into your pond and drowned there. That, that would be pretty devastating. Your pigs are a big investment, and they feed several families and bring a lot of joy in the feeding of several families. You know, bacon, right? Um, a herd this size, 2,000 pigs, would have been a huge part of the local economy, uh, and it meant money and a constant source of food for the entire community in that area. So we can understand why the demons would want to do that, why the demons would want to go into the pigs, right? They know they can't escape Jesus. They know they can't escape their fate, their doom. 
But at least this would wreak havoc, and they love havoc, right? They hate God's good creation. They want to destroy whatever they possibly can while they have the chance. They, they would delight to make life difficult for so many people. And it's, it's like a kamikaze attack, right, on the people that they hate so much. We're going down, but we're going we're to do a lot of damage on our way. And they might even have seen this as an opportunity to make people really mad at Jesus for their tremendous economic loss. They might have seen that. And it really is quite disturbing that Jesus allows it. It's quite disturbing that Jesus allows them to do this. Choosing life means choosing the one who allowed this to happen. That's not an easy choice. That's not an obvious choice. So like I said, it's understandable that the demons would want to wreak havoc like this, but this is not just accidental collateral damage for Jesus. He could have avoided this. He didn't have to let this happen, but he did. Why? Because this is terrible. Why did he do this? Jesus is Lord. He's the same Lord we learn about in the book of Job. The same Lord who allowed Satan to devastate Job. To just ruin his life, to destroy all of his livestock, and even to kill Job's children made Job's life absolutely miserable. It's the same Lord who allowed the devil to do that. The Lord allowed Satan to wreak havoc in Job's life. Why? Very simple. To arrange a meeting with Job. Just to arrange a meeting. That's what happens at the end of the book. It's a beautiful meeting where he invited Job to come to know him and to relate to him in his loss, in his suffering. And it's a meeting that ultimately resulted in Job's uh, resurrection-like blessing, multitude of blessings at the end of that book. In his goodness, the Lord Jesus freed those demonized men And in his goodness, he allowed those demons to destroy that herd of pigs, very simply, to arrange for a meeting with the townsfolk, the locals. That's important. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. That's the good stuff, right? They've been freed. Highlighting that. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. So the whole city heard, especially the story of his goodness in delivering those men. And they came out to meet this one who is the Lord of life. Jesus arranged for this meeting where the people were confronted then with a choice. Like God had confronted his people with a choice long ago. In Deuteronomy 30, God says, I uh, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Right, so when you encounter Jesus, God has set life before you. This is life. This is life personified in Jesus. And by contrast, then you learn what death truly is. Death is going your own way, apart from Jesus. Life is going with Jesus, even if he leads you into terrible places, even if he allows demons to ruin your livelihood and your economy. There's the choice that's set before us. It's not an easy choice. It's not obvious. When the city came out to meet Jesus, uh, this was the choice that his presence meant. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave. 
So he confronted them with his presence, just like he'd confronted the demons with his presence. And they were distressed, just like the demons were distressed. And they begged Jesus, just like the demons begged Jesus. Please leave us alone. The Lord had arranged this opportunity, this meeting, this invitation to come to him, to know him, to relate to him, to follow him, which is life. And they resented the opportunity. They chose death rather than life. Jesus' presence exposes the reality of that choice that they have chosen, just like the demons have chosen, to be apart from the Lord. So it might seem obvious that Jesus is good when he does good things, like setting the demonized men free. That's good. It isn't so obvious that the Lord is good when he allows you to suffer great loss like this community suffered. Given a choice between life and death, it might seem obvious that you would choose life. Any sensible person would do that, right? Choosing life is the reasonable thing to do. But it's not obvious when choosing life means choosing this Lord Jesus. It's a simple, straightforward choice between life with Jesus or death and separation from God. It's a simple, straightforward choice, but it's not an easy choice. It often isn't easy to believe or understand how being with Jesus is better than being without him. People would often rather be left alone. Just give me my earthly comforts and my securities and my wealth and you you could just go. That's all I want. We'd often rather distract ourselves or numb ourselves, even kill ourselves, than be confronted with the presence of the Lord. In his mercy, the Lord strips all those things away and he leaves us with no other choice than to face him. And it is good for him to do that, for him to come to us and to arrange a meeting with himself and to present us with the choice of life with him, even to expose how we've all truly chosen death in our sin. It's good for him to expose that. We've normalized the choice of death, right? This world doesn't, doesn't seem as dark and scary as nightmare world as this place does in this passage to us because we've normalized the choice of death. We've normalized living apart from God. We've become desensitized to the ways of chaos and fear and evil so that when God breaks onto the scene like this, it comes as a terrible shock to our whole system. We broke the world, we plunged it into darkness, and in reality it is a nightmare like this place, but we just go about our own business pretending nothing much is wrong. We like it this way. We prefer it. We beg not to be interrupted. So when Jesus comes, who is the only right one, everything is wrong with the world, but he's the only right one. When he comes, then we say, you know what? You know what's wrong? It's him. Everything about him is wrong, and we beg him to leave and leave us to our life without God. In fact, more than just begging him to leave, we made him leave. We treated him as if he were the demon-possessed one. We marched him outside the city, and we crucified him because we didn't like the choice that he presented. We couldn't stand the power of his love. We didn't want life with God as he was bringing it to us. So those townsfolk met Jesus, and they chose death rather than life. And Jesus gave them what they wanted. Just like he gave the demons what they wanted. And he'll give you what you want to. Do you desperately fear your life being turned upside down by Jesus? Is that a dreadful prospect? 
Do you love your own comfort so much that you would choose it over Jesus? Stanley Hauerwas says, if we have to choose between, you know, a life we know, even a life possessed by demons and ruled by death, and a life of uncertainty to which Jesus calls us, a life that may well expose us to dangers in Jesus' name, we too may ask Jesus to leave our neighborhood. So do you love your earthly wealth so much that you'd, you'd beg Jesus just to leave you alone with it? Or do you prize whatever opportunity the Lord might arrange for you to meet him and know him and relate to him? When you encounter loss, do you see it as a place to have fellowship with Jesus? He knows loss. You can meet with him. You can know him. You can relate to him there. When he strips good things away from you, do you still choose life with him? As our Old Testament reading that Shirley read from Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So the Son of God came in mercy In times like this, with the demons and the pigs, all of it a mercy to reveal himself to us and to expose our own choices to us. He calls us to a difficult and straightforward choice. Difficult and straightforward. He has set life and blessing before us in relationship with him, and he has set death and curse before us in separation from him. He's given you this choice. He'll give you your choice. Choose life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, the remarkable thing about all of this is uh, that you've sent your son into the world so that we could have life in relationship with him. You've chosen not to be apart from us, even though we've all rejected you thoroughly and comprehensively in our sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to us, for making yourself known to us in all the ways that you do, for arranging for us to meet you and know you and relate to you in all the ways that you do. Thank you for these opportunities, even though they're often accompanied by difficult circumstances in our lives that we would not have chosen for ourselves. These things must be worth it. Knowing you is worth anything. Like Paul, we would confess that we would count everything as loss for the surpassing value of knowing you because you're God with us. So we pray that you would help us to know you. We pray in your name. Amen.